This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Mariners make moves. I want to trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo. Adding speed. Dyson out at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way. Inside a ball. It's safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. We are inching closer to pitchers and catchers. Mariners baseball in Peoria, Arizona is really just right around the corner. Then opening day to follow soon after that. We're excited to talk a little Mariners baseball over the next couple of hours. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Mike Flowers, Dave Sims, producer-engineer Kevin Krim, and Matt Harden doing a fine job, as always, running things for us. And, guys, of course, the news of the day surrounding a man who wears number 11. Can you retire a number if somebody's still wearing the number? I think in this case you probably can, can't you, Blow? Since he's the one wearing the number? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that makes it fine. <laughs> well, we're going to have a chance to talk to Edgar Martinez uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, along with Evan Grant, one of the fine beat writers around Major League Baseball who covers the Texas Rangers. We'll talk with Mariners first base coach Casey Candell as well. And one of the many new Mariner faces, Danny Valencia. You'll see him at first base and right field as well. Danny Valencia swings by the show too. And at the end of the program, we'll have a chance to catch up with Mandy Lincoln from the front office. Talking all things Fan Fest, lots of details on that to come. That's this weekend. You can go to Mariners.com slash Fan Fest to learn more information. Uh, but Simsy, what a, what a thrilling day around Safeco Field as Edgar Martinez was at first, uh, seemed like, a pretty emotional guy up on the podium talking about his family when his number was officially retired by the Mariners. He got it together, was a very calm, cool, and collected. And after all, if the street's named after him outside the ballpark, it seems like the number 11 would be a fitting number to retire to, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And today is a good practice for uh, for Edgar because in a, hopefully next year, if not maybe the year after, as Kevin Mathic talked about, he'll be in the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame. and. That's going to be a great day for him and, and for everybody connected with the Seattle Mariners and anybody in baseball because he certainly is well-deserving and it should have been done a long time ago. No, you're right. He is pushing 60% now. He had the highest increase in vote percentage from one year to the next among any of those still active on the ballot. A lot of people are pointing to him as being really now the next Tim Raines in that regard. And, Mike, I know a teammate of Edgar's, you know him as well as anybody There's countless things and stories you can tell about Edgar, but one that I I haven't heard you say a whole lot that I'm fascinated to know more about is stories of Edgar weighing his bats. How did this happen? Well, I think, first of all, he absolutely did that, along with a a number of other things to prepare himself every day. He's the most prepared hitter I've ever been around. Um, But weighing his bats is something that he started to do in the clubhouse on a regular basis, and I, I can remember walking in one day, and he was actually weighing these bats on a little scale. He had a little square scale with a digital readout on it, and he swung a 34-inch, 31-ounce bat. And he would put his order in, so pick a company, uh, whoever he was getting his bats from at the time. You usually get them in a box. You get a dozen bats at a time when you needed them. And he would go through and weigh each one of those, those bats, and if they were not 31 ounces, 
they went over to the side, and he would use them for batting practice, but his game bats were 31 ounces on the button. And and it, and it was one of those things where as, as, as a teammate of his, I'm watching this, and I figured, works for him? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Igor, but I'm going to be using that scale. And, so. and, and walk us through, paint the picture, how do you weigh – a bat on a small scale because this does not. This seems like there's some um, some MacGyvering that needs to take place, right? Well, there actually was. It was it was, it was pretty interesting because he would get a, a scale and and it's probably uh, it's a square scale, probably oh eight inches by eight inches, and, and like I said, it had a digital readout on there. But as you know, it, it's tough to balance a bat or lay it sideways or whatever. So what Edgar ended up doing is getting a styrofoam cup. He would put it on the scale, reset it to zero. And then he would put the barrel of the bat, the end of it, in the styrofoam cup, <laughs> and it would stand straight up and down, and he would just let it sit there until he was happy. I would love to see a picture of that. It was amazing. How was this not a Mariners commercial? Was there a commercial of Edgar Wayne bats? I mean, this is like <laughs> well, perfect, there was a light bat. But yeah, got a light bat. Got to recreate that. Yeah. You know, they, you know hello, anybody home? Let's recreate that. I love that story. Which, along with everything from him, he, he had some of the best commercials all time oh, when the Mariners sure. ran. And they're all fantastic about Edgar's. There's just something about him that makes you laugh. Yeah, he's great. Which, by the way, a brief pause on that. Speaking of Mariners commercials, that's one of the new things that we'll learn about at the end of the program that will be happening at FanFest this year. There's essentially a screening room where they will be showing all of the archived Mariners commercials, <laughs> wow. kind of on, which is a great idea. Yeah, that's so great it's idea. another new addition to FanFest. But I know, Simsy, last year we got to uh, have the best seat in the house for uh, Griffey Weekend. Edgar's number will be officially retired on August 12th. It will be Edgar Weekend and... What we saw last year for Junior was uh, a ceremony unlike one, I think, that we've seen anywhere else at any time. And that's saying something given that the Mariners put on those types of events better than anybody. But what we're going to see for Edgar and the ovation for Edgar Martinez in Seattle at Safeco Field is going to be off the charts. you got kids, bring earplugs because they're going to need them. It's going to be some kind of loud. The outpouring of love for uh, Junior was was spectacular. It will be the same for Junior. I mean, for uh, for Edgar. And uh, it's something I, I'm already, I've already marked it down, you know, the 12th of August. I'm looking forward to it. I didn't have the pleasure of seeing him up close and personal every day over a course of time. But I just know that every time I did see him, especially in a clutch spot, something big was going to happen, and generally it did. You know, speaking of that, and, of course, when you think of Edgar, you think of the double mm-hmm. against the Yankees, and Buck Showalter was the manager of that Yankees team. I remember it. This was, at this point, I think maybe two years ago when I was interviewing Buck for our pregame show. And I was really curious, his perspective decades later on the double. And you really got the sense that it was too soon for Buck. <laughs> I, I mean, believe it with I mean, Buck. Really I absolutely did. believe it. I mean, he, he seemed pretty stung by that still to this day. And he should be. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you know what's amazing is you were talking about Junior. Now we're obviously talking about Edgar. And those guys hit 3-4 in the lineup. Um, when Edgar won his first batting title, he was hitting second. And then after that, he moved to hitting fourth. But Junior's the one that came up with the base hit to keep things moving along, comes around to score on the double by Edgar. And it's one of the things that, that I try to explain to people because, obviously, Junior's star at one point was bigger than anybody's in the game. Um, and you look at the numbers he was putting up in Seattle, hitting 50 home runs every year, hitting 300, doing all those great things. I don't want to take anything away from any of that other than I think it really gives you an idea of how great Edgar was because Edgar was the guy standing on deck when a lot of that stuff was happening. And it's because managers like Buck Showalter – what are you going to do? You, you know, you try to eliminate a team's best player, but that's so difficult because if you were to pitch around Kenny, which happened a lot, there was Edgar, and he was the guy that was going to hit a line drive in a gap somewhere and beat you. And the managers would just sit over there and pull their hair out because there was nothing they can do because Seattle had two of the greatest offensive players in the game. Was he as calm and quiet in the clubhouse 
as Edgar was, and how we see him today and how he appeared to be as a player on the field? Yeah, I, I think that I've seen Edgar get outside of that calm appearance um, two times in the time that I was a teammate of his. Um, one of them was him hitting a home run in the playoffs, I believe it was off of Wetland, in that same series. I think it was a grand slam to dead center field, and he's coming around first base, and he's actually pumping his fists, which I never saw before from him because he was as calm as it could be. Um, and the other one was kind of funny. We were in spring training, which when you start spring training, Aaron, you're fully aware of this now, there are a lot of bodies in the clubhouse. For sure. One day he didn't particularly like the music that was being played, asked politely to have it turned down. That did not happen, so he took care of it himself. <laughs> Those are the only two times I saw him excited about anything. I see. Yeah, he's awesome. How did he take care of it? Well, he had a baseball bat in his hand, Dave. Line drive, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> Squared it up. I landed it. One of, one of those bats that didn't pass the styrofoam <laughs> exactly. cup back. Exactly. You know, the funny thing is now we, we get to be around Edgar every day, but we're really not around Edgar every day because he is in the film room or he is in the cage. I mean, he, he's a tough man to track down, so we will have a chance to actually see him in front of a microphone at a podium at Safeco Field on August 12th when his number is officially retired or next to King Griffey Jr. and Jackie Robinson. So pretty special stuff, certainly the news of the day. And once again, we'll have a chance to hear from Edgar coming up a little bit later here in the hot stove. A lot to get to when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the American League West and specifically the Texas Rangers, one of the great beat writers in the game today. You've seen him countless times, no doubt, on MLB Network. It's Evan Grant from the Dallas Morning News talking all things Texas when we come back here on the Hot Stove Show. Hot Stove Show rolls along. You're on Goldsmith alongside Mike Flowers and Dave Sims. And it's time to talk a little bit about the division, and in particular the Texas Rangers. So we go to the phone. We welcome in from uh, beautiful Flower Mound, Texas, one of our favorite beat writers around the country covering Major League Baseball, Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News. Evan, a Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy New Year to you, Aaron. And uh, I'd like to say Happy New Year to everybody in Seattle, and probably this will be the last time you have me on since you'll be going the C.J. Nikowski all year long <laughs> with the Rangers and the Mariners meet. But, hey, it's been a nice run. I've enjoyed it. Well, for those who don't know, C.J., who has uh, done some work uh, for Fox uh, for their pregame and postgame on uh, national broadcasts and analysts as well, is has, has a new uh, broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, and we love C.J., so he has uh, trumped, no doubt, um, our good friend Evan. But, Evan, in case of an emergency, it's nice to know that we have your number. So, uh while we do have you for a couple of segments, which we're very excited about, uh, first of all, let's kind of start big picture on this. You know, if you go back a couple of years ago, pre-Jeff Bannister for the Texas Rangers, I mean, we all remember that just ridiculously injury-laden season for Texas. They finished in last place, 67 wins. Then they hire this big, boisterous guy in Jeff Bannister, and it's been nothing but back-to-back Division titles, unfortunately for Texas, being knocked out both seasons in the division around by the Blue Jays. Can you kind of put in perspective how quickly the Rangers were able to turn things around and become a team that we just expect every year at this point to contend for the title in the American League West? Well, I I, I think that, listen, there were a number of guys left uh, on this roster from 2011, 2012, 2013 when they were a 90-win team, and and they had a ridiculous number of injuries in 2014 and some some unforeseen circumstances. Uh, But what I do think that that Jeff did was he just brought a different voice into the clubhouse and uh, never let this team kind of give up on itself. 
early on they they experienced some more adversity when they they lost Hugh Darvish to Tommy John on his first start of spring training, and and, and it looked like it was just going to go on and on. And I think the best thing that, that Jeff did was uh, basically say this is this is not going to change us. This is not going to define us. This is not going to defeat us. And uh, it took a little bit of time. They, they got off to a rough start, but since they since they kind of bought into that around mid-season of 2015, uh, this has been a very tight-knit club, and it's uh, it's continued to get healthier. The pitching staff now, I think, is is as good as it's been in in quite some time, and and I think they go to camp with with a team that doesn't have a whole lot of question marks. Maybe one of the question marks, and correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, first base Moreland now is gone. What are they going to do at first base? Yeah, that is the big question mark right now. And and the, the, the conventional wisdom here is that sometime, somehow, some way between now and, and February 1st, I would guess, they will um, get a deal done with Mike Napoli on a one-year deal. I, I just don't know where the, the landing spot for Mike would be other than here. I think he would like to be here. Um, I, I think it is just a little bit of a staring contest right now. <laughs> and if you've got Napoli at first base from the right-hand side, you've then got some options from the left. You, uh, Josh Hamilton is going to go to camp healthy. And he's going to go. To, he's going to work as a first baseman more than an outfielder, uh, with some hope that that would keep him healthier. Uh, if Josh doesn't make it, they sign James Loney, uh, and, and the idea would be that you have guys that give you the ability to uh, maybe slow down the process with Joey Gallo a little bit, um, let him get some more time in the minor leagues if that's what's needed to, to adjust that power swing. Um, and that it would allow Jerks and Profar to really play a a utility role um, all over the field um, to keep everybody fresh. So uh, if they sign Napoli, I think they've got a really strong platoon at first base, uh, and I think they've got they've got some options on how they handle that. Um, if they don't sign Napoli, then the right-handed options at first base uh, become a little bit more of a question mark. Um, they could use Profar from the right-hand side, but he hasn't been very good against left-handed pitching. Um, they've got Will Middlebrooks on a minor league contract. They've got Ryan Rua. Uh, none of these are are the most attractive of options, and that's why I think when it's all said and done, you're going to see this team end up with Mike Napoli, and if, if for some unforeseen circumstances it's not Napoli, there's still Chris Carter sitting out there. Wow, good point. Evan, Dave Sims, uh, Happy New Year to you. A uh, question about Hamilton. Have you seen Josh or talked to anybody who has seen him in his workouts? I was just curious to hear what the, uh, the early word is on him here on January 24th. I've just, I've just seen him um, at, a, at a presser and uh, at an event, and so he wasn't doing any working out at that point in time. But he has been completely medically cleared. He should not be um, held back in any way. Uh, he did do a little bit of working out at first base during the minicamp last week. And, and Dave, I think, you know, you heard this last year even before they shut it down. I don't think this team had high expectations for what they'd get out of Josh, but the possibility always exists that, hey, if this guy's healthy, there's still some lightning in his bat. And if it's for 40 games, for what the Rangers, the Rangers aren't going to pay any extra dollars for him than they were already committed to. Uh, he's not guaranteed a spot on a major league roster. He goes to camp on a minor league spot. 
Uh, I, I think that it, at this point in time, there's nothing but upside for Hamilton if he gives this club anything that whatsoever. Well, it's always nice to be joined by Evan Grant, who covers the Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. We've got plenty more to talk to Evan about, including maybe some Hall of Fame chatter coming up a little bit. We're going to stay with Evan on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith, Dave Sims, and Mike Flowers, happy to be with you tonight on the Hot Stove Show. And we're continuing to talk a little Texas Rangers baseball with Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News. And uh, actually, Evan, let's put a pause on Texas for just a second. Let's talk about Cooperstown and the news of the day here from Seattle. We just uh, were at the press conference earlier this afternoon from Safeco Field that number 11 is officially being retired in honor, of course, of the great Edgar Martinez. And I know, Evan, you are one who has uh, voted for Edgar Martinez, and he did so again this year for the Hall of Fame. Can you? I think Mariners fans would be very interested to get an, an outsider's point of view as to what goes through your mind and the reasons why you do vote for Edgar to be in Shrine in Cooperstown. Oh, well, Aaron, I think that with Edgar and, and, and with my ballot in particular this year, I think if there was a theme, it, it had to do with roles and um Edgar was really until David Ortiz, until the rise of David Ortiz, who was the preeminent DH in in baseball. Um, and this is a this is a role that he was asked to do, and, and he he did it with extreme success, and was as good a hitter as there was in baseball for for over a decade. Um, I, I think that some of my my brethren uh, look at certain thresholds uh, and. I don't know that I don't know how applicable some of those are anymore. Um, but I just look at his I look at his batting averages on base percentage, his, his OPS, his OPS plus, all of that. And you know, this guy was was a Hall of Famer as a Hall of Fame type hitter. Um, and you look on my ballot, and and I think that roles played a big part in in who I voted for. I voted for. Obviously, I voted for Pudge Rodriguez because I think he's, if not the best catcher in the game, he's certainly in a photo finish with Johnny Bench in, in, in baseball history. And, and I viewed him as a catcher, not just as a not just as a set of offensive numbers. Uh, I voted for Trevor Hoffman. Um, I know that there's there's been some backlash, and Trevor just missed uh, this year, but. He was asked to be a closer, and nobody in baseball history has closed games better than, than he has, with the exception of Mariano Rivera. And I will guarantee you that when Mariano becomes eligible, he's going to be voted in with more than 95% of the vote in his first year of eligibility. So I don't see where the big difference is between Mariano and, and, and Trevor in terms of that. And Edgar just fits into that for me as well, that, that it is time that we recognize some of the great DHs who have played now in, in this game now going on close to 50 years, and, and Edgar is is certainly on the medal stand there. Well, Evan, and, and as we look at it, because you've been such a big part of all of this, and obviously the people here in Seattle, uh, myself included, want to see him, him go into the Hall of Fame, I, I think it's deserving too. But when you look at the percentage and the jump for him, um, how should we look at, at all that? Because people were obviously pretty optimistic when they saw the numbers. Yeah, I, 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 this is um, was this his seventh year or his eighth year? He's got he's got two more years remaining. He's got two more years, yeah. And, and you know, you've got some. You again next year you'll have um, you've got Vlad left over as a first ballot guy from this year. You've got. You've got Hoffman. Um, both of those guys are going to be right on the cusp, I think. And then you've got the first ballot guys. You've got Chipper, 
um, uh, don't have the ballot in front of me, but I think there are three very, very viable first ballot Hall of Famers, and it's just going to come down to uh, I think what we're seeing now is more and more guys use the, the maximum number of 10 spots or at least close to it on their ballot. And I think that is what has changed and, and jumped his percentages significantly. And and I hope that he has something of the Tim Raines effect, that he continues to to creep up there and creep up there. And hopefully, if, if not next year, by that 10th year, that he will um, he'll eclipse 75%. But I think it's going to be very close for him. Well, Evan, uh, why, do you, why the reluctance? Why, why have guys been reluctant to, to sock it in on, on Edgar Martinez when his numbers, I mean, to me, and, and even before I came here, it was my 11th year working with the Mariners, but even before that, I knew the guy was a Hall of Famer. I mean, come on. Yeah, and I, I go back to this, Dave. I think that, that a lot of guys look at certain sets of numbers that I don't know how applicable they are anymore. Um you know, we used to look at, well, 3,000 hits as an automatic Hall of Fame bid. Well, careers may be lasting a little bit shorter now, and, and so is, is 3,000 hits some kind of magic number? Does that matter? Uh, Edgar only had 2,250 hits or so. I only had 300 home runs. And, and these are numbers that I think a lot of the old-time voters look at with a lot more of a uh, of a critical eye. Um, but when you start looking at numbers that we now – really value. You know, when you look at, at, at the OBP and you look at the OPS, uh, these are they're world-class numbers. And uh, I'm sure that there's some penalty from guys who think, well, he didn't play a position on the field. Uh, but again, he was the role he was asked to play was as a hitter, and and so I think I think to some extent guys have just kind of got to get over what their preconceptions are and realize that we're in a new era of data. We've got more data and probably a better picture, a more complete picture of who these players were, and uh, we have to. I think we have to start viewing players in the roles that they were asked to perform because baseball has become a much more specialized game, particularly over the last 20 years or so. You're here. Hall of Fame voter and Rangers beat writer Evan Grant joining us here on the Hot Stove Show. Evan, starting next year, every Hall of Fame ballot will be publicly released. Now, many have been released even before next year's rules take effect, but certainly I think there, you can make the case that Junior would have been a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe, if the, if those rules were in place when the voting took place, because you don't want to be one of those three guys uh, publicly right. persecuted. But how do you feel about having your vote uh, have to be shown to the public? Uh, I, well, you know, our policy has always been that whether it's an MVP vote or uh, any awards vote or or the Hall of Fame, we make our ballots public. And and I feel in this area of, of social of social media and engagement with readers. Uh, we are a special electorate, and it is a, it's a very passionate subject for a lot of people, and I, I think that, that we should be as transparent as possible. Um, listen, there's, I think that there are some issues with, with how we, how we ballot, and, and I think that there are some questions about who should and shouldn't be, uh, eligible or, or what kind of direction we get. But I think the one thing that the baseball writers who vote on this can control is that we act transparently, 
that we explain our ballots, we explain our thinking, um, and, you know, online, everybody who, who votes has some kind of online presence. You've got the ability to explain what your thinking is, and, and I think that with as much passion as fans have for this Hall of Fame, this much more so than any other Hall of Fame, uh, I think it, it, it is uh, kind of uh, a responsibility of the writers. And I, I was glad to see that motion pass in, in, in the Writers Association meeting. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be hiding behind a ballot. We if, if guys are don't want to. If guys don't want to reveal their ballots, they have the option of no longer voting. And um, that's certainly their, their prerogative, but I, I, I don't see any problem with doing the best you can and selecting however many players you think are, are, are worthy of the Hall of Fame and then explaining your reasoning behind your thinking. Well, finally, Evan, uh, to switch gears a little bit back to uh, actual Texas Rangers baseball. Hey, you guys are going to actually have a new ballpark. It looks like 2020 is the year. This, uh, this, I know when we were in town last season, all of a sudden this just kind of became a thing. Like it was no talk about a Rangers ballpark, a new one that is, then all of a sudden there's going to be a new ballpark. Did this take you by surprise? What took me by surprise, I, I knew that the it was about time for the Rangers to get on the ball about a new ballpark. And I thought that when um, the lease was over at Globe Life Park, the Rangers would have a new ballpark in place. Uh, what I did not expect was that Arlington, the city of Arlington, would act as proactively as it did to keep the ballpark and to keep the Rangers from engaging in any serious talks with the city of Dallas. Um, I think from a business standpoint, uh, to have the ballpark in downtown Dallas would be a little bit more lucrative. Uh, and I think Arlington recognized that. Um, but what Arlington did was it offered the ability to get into a new ballpark three years earlier. They're basically tearing up the last three years of the current lease. And they're going to do what's most important is put a roof on this thing. And this ballpark is a beautiful ballpark, and it was built under budget. And uh, it was built at a time when the Rangers absolutely needed a new facility to be competitive. All of that said, it lacked a roof, and this place needed a roof as much as any as any stadium in in Major League Baseball, and and that is the reason I think why we are seeing this ball this ballpark maybe come to a, a premature end. But look, you guys have been there in August and September. You know what the heat factor is like. Yes, we do, and for fans to come out there, it's just unbearable. Evan. Um... To get back to the, the American League West, as you look at things that have happened over the course of the winter and are going to continue, and you talked a little bit about the first base situation with the Rangers, um, just your general thoughts on what the Mariners have done. They're obviously, I think, looking at a window with a, with a group of guys in the middle of their lineup, and they're trying to improve and, and get more athletic. But what are some of your thoughts on the Mariners and what they've been able to do? Well, Mike, has, has Jerry made any trade since we've been on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> well said. Possibly. <laughs> Um, I, you know, here's my thinking is, look, I thought, I thought the Mariners made themselves a better team last year, and I think certainly they've added more talent. Um, they've added more talent again this year. The one thing that I worry about with, with the number of trades that, that Jerry has made this winter is how much this roster has turned over and 
we all know that you can't really quantify it, but chemistry and, and knowing one another and and kind of working in sync is an important part of 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 the team's success. And and I just do wonder if it's going to take this team a little bit of time to kind of get its feet under them and and really know who they are and and, and gel. But certainly you make an argument that. Uh, that the Rangers, Astros, and Mariners and talent are very closely bunched at this point in time. Evan, we uh, we always love talking to you. I know we, we razz each other from time to time, from time to time. But, uh, Evan, you're truly one of our favorites and uh, very gracious of you to give us some time um, this evening. And thank you so much, Evan. Guys, I appreciate it. I, I hope you will let me appear once this year just for all time's sake. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. You, you bet. We'll see you down in Arizona. All right, guys, take care. There he is, Evan Grant, covers the Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. You see him all the time on MLB Network as well. Evan Grant, kind enough to join us here on the Hot Stove Show. So plenty to get to here in this first hour of the program, including one of the many new Mariners. When we come back, we'll hear from Danny Valencia, a recorded interview from earlier today. You know, he's over in Miami, so it gets kind of late there, uh, our time. So Danny was kind enough to give us some time earlier in the afternoon. That conversation with Danny Valencia coming up right after this quick break. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith joined now over the phone with Mariners' new infielder and outfielder, Danny Valencia, joining us from his home just north of Miami. Danny, first of all, thanks for taking some time, and, and welcome to the Mariners. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm definitely excited to be part of uh, what we're trying to do there in Seattle. Well, we know that just uh, not too long ago, before he made his uh, venture over to the Dominican Republic, you had a chance to sit down and, and break bread, have a dinner with your new skipper, Scott Service. Uh, what did you learn about Scott when you uh, you were able to meet up with him for a little bit? I thought it was really, uh, first off, I thought it was really nice that he actually took the time, came down to uh, my hometown to uh, meet with me. I thought it was really cool. Um, really nice guy. I'm looking forward to playing for him. You know, um, he's excited about our team, just like I'm excited about our team, and you know, he seems like he just wants to keep it pretty loose, and, you know, winning's obviously the most important thing. But uh, I thought it was really nice. It went really well, and it was just nice to, uh, you know, meet him before I actually meet him maybe either in FanFest or in spring training. Sometimes that's how it goes. So it was kind of nice to get that out of the way and, you know, share my thoughts and, you know, tell him how I'm excited to be there and just hear what he has to say. Obviously the Mariners are coming off a season where they were oh so close to making the postseason, and you were in the division with the Oakland A's. What was your view of the Mariners from the other dugout? Um, I mean, they were always played us tough. You know, they beat us a bunch. There's a good. Uh, they, I always thought that uh, you know, looking at the other side, they had a good, good team, good core guys, and you know, really good pitching. Um, I thought you know, obviously they came. We came in at the very end to play them, and we knew what was on the line. And up until the last couple of days of the season, they played for an opportunity to play in the playoffs, and that's really all you can ask for. And it's something that all teams, you know, were, were probably envious of, and I know we would have liked it better there if you were at the end like they were. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was planning to ask you about that. Game 161, the A's coming to Safeco Field. Of course, the Mariners needing to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. It was, Danny, one of, I think it's fair to say, one of the most thrilling games in Safeco Field history. I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. It went to extra innings. It went to the 10th. The A's eventually ended up winning, but it was a a back-and-forth game of multiple lead changes. And what did you learn about playing inside Safeco Field? Because even though they were cheering for the other team, you must have been able to feel that energy from the crowd that night at Safeco. Oh, no, that definitely gives you kind of 
you know, a glimpse of what can be if uh, if you're, you know, playing meaningful games at the end of September and, and even obviously playing the playoffs. It seems like the, the fan base really came out. We were actually very fortunate because we opened up the season there and uh, the crowd was just as great at the beginning of the year as it was really it was even better at the very, very end like it was. And I, I was able to see literally their first home opener and their last game while they were still in it. We're pleased to be joined by new Mariner infielder and outfielder Danny Valencia. And, Danny, one of the interesting things looking at your numbers the last couple of seasons is that even though you're a right-handed hitter, the last couple of seasons, Danny, your numbers against right-handed pitching have taken a, a serious jump, a noticeable jump, uh, both in terms of the average, the power, the ability to get on base. What was it in your mind that created that, that switch for you to be more effective against righties? Um, you know, I made some adjustments with my swing. I think every player goes through a through a time in, in their career where they feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm leaving something on the table offensively, and I, and I felt that way. You know, I didn't really like to be pigeonholed into the whole he can only play and platoon against left-handed pitching. I felt like, just like many other players, that you come up hitting against righties. And I made some adjustments in my in my swing a couple of years ago, and, 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 and luckily enough for me, it, it's worked out where, you know, the results show, and um, uh, I would like to say that I'm a different hitter now than I was, you know, a few years ago. Despite all of your success offensively, you are a part of many who have uh, struggled during their times in the batter's box facing the king, Felix Hernandez, and now you are fortunate enough <laughs> to be playing behind Felix. Uh, can you tell us what it's like standing inside the batter's box facing Felix Hernandez? Oh, it's tough, you know. Like, yeah, super competitive. He never really gives in. you got to be super disciplined. The last couple of years when we would play Felix, uh, there would be some times where those would be like automatic days off for me. It seems like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's changed now, but I'm looking forward to definitely playing behind him. He seems to be a great competitor. I'm, I'm really, you know, looking forward to it because I kind of have always admired him. He's the first guy I faced in the big leagues when I first got called up, so it's pretty cool. Oh, how about that nice little piece of Danny Valencia trivia there? That's very interesting. Now, you know, Danny, you, you mentioned the one word that, it seems like, and I'm not kidding, every player, when they talk about Felix, they all mention the word competitor and his love and ability to compete. And I, I think, Danny, for the average fan, and I know I kind of feel this way a little bit, when they hear that, I'm kind of thinking, well, you're, I mean, you're in the major leagues. You're a professional athlete. Aren't you all competing? So what is it that's different about Felix that makes his level of competition stand out so much that that's one of the words that everybody used to reference the king? I think you know with him you see you definitely see more emotion when he when he's pitching and when he's in it and the crowd's in it. It's uh, he's definitely he's definitely you know pumped up and it's it's nice to see that. It's nice to see people you know showing emotion on the field. I, I admire it and uh, you know if he feed off of it when it's you know, somebody on our team. A couple of final minutes here with Danny Valencia on the Hot Stove Show. Danny, this is a WBC year year World Baseball Classic and. There's some thought as to maybe you will play for Team Israel or maybe not, and you're not alone in terms of major leaguers who are kind of on the fence as to whether or not it's a good idea uh, to play in the WBC or instead to use those at-bats or those innings for their actual team. Uh, what goes into that thought process when you, when you go down to make that decision? Um, you know, ultimately you want to make the best decision for, for, for yourself. You know, maybe is you know, unfortunate as it sounds because at the same time your, your job is here in the United States and, you know, you want to do everything to put yourself in a position to be successful for your for your team, and 
And it's also you got to balance the fact that it's a huge honor to be able to play in the World Baseball Classic and, and to be asked to play because for us, baseball, it's, it's really like our Olympics since baseball is no longer the Olympics. So it's definitely tough because you're being pulled in each direction, in each direction there's just so many benefits to doing either one. And uh, it's tough. It's just unfortunate that a lot of the time you can't do both. Well, Danny, regardless of uh, which way you go, we look forward to having you in Peoria for Mariners spring training. And certainly you uh, forecast as somebody who's going to be a big part of what the Mariners uh, hope to do this coming season. So once again, welcome to the Mariners. It's so kind and gracious of you to take some time to join us here on the Hot Stove Show. And uh, all the best as we uh, look forward to seeing you in Peoria soon. Uh, No doubt, no doubt. Thanks uh, thanks for having me. And I look forward to uh, being out there with you guys. Take it easy. There's Danny Valencia, who joined us over the phone a little bit earlier this afternoon from his home home just north of Miami. And worth mentioning that you'll have a chance to meet Danny in person coming up this weekend. He will be one of the many at FanFest in terms of players and coaches. We'll have a chance to learn more about that coming up in the second hour of the program. And, of course, there's so much to do at FanFest in addition to meeting guys like Danny Valencia. You can, of course, take part in... Season ticket, select a seat. You can choose the best seats for a full or a 20-game plan at season ticket package. And the good news, even more good news, Mariners representatives will be all over the place to give you a hand to pick out that perfect seat. You can get more information on Mariners Fan Fest by simply going to mariners.com slash fanfest. And a good chance for you to become a Mariners season ticket holder. Aaron Goldsmith, Mike Blowers, Dave Sims on the Hot Stove Show. And, guys, a couple of minutes we have here to, to talk about Danny Valencia he seemed really impressed and really grateful for Scott's service taking some time to sit down and have a meal with him. It's a rare thing, I, I think, for as a player. That, that's rare. You, you would expect it um, for guys that have been with the club and, and are a big piece. So when we heard that he had done that with Cano and Cruz and Seeger, Felix, of course, no surprises there. But when you're a guy that's coming into a new situation and for the manager to take the time to do that and basically to lay it out for Danny on what his expectations are going to be of him, I think that you are going to be impressed by that. And I think that it's something that um, we were talking about it earlier, and, and even Evan mentioned it at the end there. When you have the turnover of players, one of the things that I think Scott was excellent was getting these guys together as quickly as possible so you don't have that lag time. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear that Scott did that. Tell you what, Danny comes into a situation having what you just talked about, Mike, with the guys already establishing relationships. Yep. They're going to welcome him with open arms. And Danny's an older guy; he's 32 years old. I mean, he's still got a lot of game left. And it's going to—it's got a chance to be a great fit. Well, we've looked at a lot of things, and and what Jerry has tried to do to this club, and and I think one of the, the everybody keeps talking about Segura for good reason, and now Dyson because of the speed that that brings to yep. the lineup as a whole. Some of the depth of the pitching rotation, now the bullpen and the power arms that they're going to have. Danny Valencia is a professional hitter. He had a good year last yeah, he year. And he's a guy that can play right field. He can play a little bit of third base. He'll play some first base. Uh, but more importantly, he's a guy that can get it done and has. And, and it's really his career has taken off over the last couple of years. So even though that there's this dynamic of speed and a bunch of different things, he's somebody that is going to be really valuable to Scott over the course of the summer. So for those two days off a year that Seeger gets. <laughs> We, the Mariners have a fill-in. That's a good thing. They'll be in good hands. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> but Mike's right. We'll see him a lot at first base in the right field as well. And uh, very nice conversation with Danny Valencia. Still lots to get to here on the Hot Stove Show. We've got more coming up after this quick break. We'll come right out and tell you that Edgar Martinez is basically the man here and has been for a long time. Today, it is my privilege to announce that the number 11 will be retired and displayed at Safeco Field. Swung on and belted deep to center field. And this will fly, fly away. 
Congratulations, Edgar, from a grateful city. An incredible honor for me and my family. And the home of the Mariners. Edgar, you are unbelievable! 710 ESPN Seattle. Add the Safeco Field Suites to your list of places to check out in 2017. Whether hosting clients or coworkers or family and friends, you and your guests will enjoy Mariners baseball from the comfort of a private suite. This premium seating option accommodates groups of 14 to 400 and includes game tickets, a catering credit, and VIP parking. Safeco Field Suite tickets are on sale now. To secure a date to host your next event at the ballpark, visit Mariners.com slash premium for more information. That's Mariners.com slash premium. Nobody likes to be told no. No, no, no. No closes doors. So why do people like it when KeyBank says no? Because the KeyBank hassle-free account comes with lots of very likable no's. No monthly service charges, no overdraft fees, no minimum balance fees, no hassles. No kidding. It's that simple. When you use the red key, financial well-being is just a no away. Open your hassle-free account today. No, 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 no. Take the first step to thriving. Use the red key to make your finances hassle-free. Switch to a KeyBank hassle-free account and get $100 when transaction requirements are met. For details about this offer or how to get $300, go to key.com slash get100 or any KeyBank branch. Member FDIC. If you want a BMW, conventional car wisdom tells you to go to a BMW dealer. In this case, conventional car wisdom would be wrong. Hey, it's Jim Moore. Elliott Bay Auto Brokers sells more pre-owned BMWs than all the BMW dealers in the state combined. Stop by their easy-to-use website, ebautobrokers.com, and check out all the luxury cars. Mercedes, Lexus, Range Rover, Audi, Elliott Bay Auto Brokers has them all. At Elliott Bay Auto Brokers, you'll get low prices and no pressure, a hassle-free car buying experience. It's another reason why owner Jim Phelps has so many return customers. Jim buys the cars himself traveling around the country to find the best vehicles. It's why Elliott Bay Auto Brokers is the largest pre-owned luxury car dealer in the Northwest, selling more than 12,000 cars. You'll drive away with a terrific deal on a terrific car with a factory warranty while the first owner takes a hit on depreciation. Visit ebautobrokers.com, then stop by the showroom at 130th and Aurora. Find out what you've been missing at Elliott Bay Auto Brokers. Are you ready to join the healthcare revolution? This fall, Washington State University welcomes the charter class of the Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. The Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine will provide the physicians for Washington's future with the opportunity to train in underserved communities around the state. Students will be resourceful, generous, agile, and inventive with the ultimate outcome, healthier people and healthier communities. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Deans, physician lead at Swedish Medical Group Ballard and a proud WSU alum. It's an honor to support WSU's Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. There is a definite need to train physicians to provide quality care in medically challenged and underserved areas of our state. And I can't wait to serve with WSU-trained doctors who possess the skills to be caring, effective, and team-building healthcare leaders. This is a healthcare revolution, and Washington State University is leading it with the Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. Learn more. Be a part of it. Go to medicine.wsu.edu. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
Happy you're with us here tonight on the Hot Stove Show as we're talking a little Mariners baseball. Pitchers and catchers seemingly just around the corner at this point. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Mike Flowers and Dave Sims. And, uh, guys, we are moments away from our trivia question. And it surrounds somebody that is worth uh, more time than what we will give him right now, and that is Edwin Diaz, who it's amazing. We all know the story by now. Double-A, a starter, ends the season as an electric major league closer. And the numbers that Diaz put up last year, of course, are just ridiculous. He had uh, strikeouts per nine, Mike, were just over 15. Uh, I mean, it was like truly, it was on pace in some ways to be a really historic season. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how having that one piece in the bullpen and the trickle-down effect. And we talked about this when Rodney was going well, the trickle-down effect of having a closer like that. How do you see him adjusting now to the second year, his first full season in the majors? Well, I think that's a difficult question to answer on a couple of different levels. One, he was a closer or reliever in double-A for all of a month before he was in the big leagues and then just took that job over. Um, I felt there were times, as as careful as Scott Service um, and the Mariners were, to hold him back as much as possible because of the situation the team was in and trying to get into the postseason. He probably pitched a little bit more than they were expecting him to, and I think we saw some of his stuff fall off a little bit, um, which is to be expected. One, he's a young player, and two, he'd never been a reliever, and he'd never been a closer at the major league level with everything on the line. Um, and then you compound all those things as you go into this winter, and you have the World Baseball Classic. And so now he's going to go do his thing there. So my expectation would be once Scott gets him back from that and he's in spring training, I'm not sure how much we're going to see of Diaz in spring training. I think they're going to just try to hold him back as much as possible. And then from there, he's still going to have his limits. The good news for the Mariners is because of some of the things that they've been able to do this winter, they have a lot of power arms out in that bullpen. So I think there's a couple of other guys that could take some of that pressure off of him. But, this look, his, his future is bright. He's electric as it gets, but they're going to have to be careful with him again this year. No question. We'll be pitching for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic this spring. Well, let's get to the trivia question with Edwin Diaz on our mind. You can call, remember, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Edwin Diaz burst onto the scene for the Mariners last season. 18 saves after August the 2nd in his rookie season. So the question, prior to Edwin, which product of the Mariners' farm system, that's kind of a key part here, had the most saves as a rookie? The winner receives a 40th anniversary hooded sweatshirt. We're actually going to take two winners. The second winner, meaning the second person to call with the correct answer, will receive a four-pack of tickets to Mariners Fan Fest happening this Saturday and Sunday at Safeco Field. And the second winner will be announced at the end of the show. So, pretty fun stuff. Who was the last rookie with from the Mariners' farm system with the most saves before Edwin Diaz? Let us know. 206-421-3776. The winner coming up on the other side. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith, Mike Flowers, Dave Sims. And it's time to kick off the second hour with the answer to our trivia question. We were talking about Edwin Diaz, which product of the Mariners' farm system had the most saves as a rookie. So, uh, hey, Matty, how about you say we uh, go to the audio vault for the answer? One and two, the count on White. Here's the stretch by Schooler. And the one-two pitch on the way. Check swing slider. Strike three called, and the ball game is over. Mike Schooler strikes out Devon White with a slider on the inside corner. White looking 
And that's the ball game. The Mariners win it. A final score of 7-4 to four here on opening night in Anaheim Stadium. The young tones of Rico. I like that. That is great stuff. That is worth the trip to the audio vault right there. Well, Chris Reed of uh, lovely Kirkland is our winner. Mike Schuler, Schuler had 15 saves back in 88. And uh, this was the, the key language, a product of the Mariners' farm system. Kazuhiro Suzaki had 37 saves in, of course, technically his rookie season, but he had a decade in Japan. The, so Mike Schuler is the winner of the 40th anniversary sweatshirt. And we will be announcing the second winner at the end of the program who will receive tickets to FanFest coming up this weekend. Well, we continue here on the Hot Stove Show, and we've already had a, a very productive program talking with Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, Danny Valencia as well, who you'll have a chance to meet and talk to at FanFest. In the second hour, we'll be talking with Mariners first base coach Casey Candell. Mandy Lincoln of the front office will join us as well to talk about FanFest and, of course, the man of the day, Edgar Martinez, joins us at the end of the program. We had a chance to catch up with Edgar at the ballpark today, really just moments after his number retirement ceremony. Well, guys, we're talking about the state of the Mariners. We covered the bullpen a little bit with the talk of Edwin Diaz. If you look at the rotation right now, it seems like, at least on paper, the rotation has rounded out a little bit uh, not too long ago with of the additions, most namely of uh, Drew Smiley to maybe be your number four starter. Uh, but this is a rotation that it seems like the Mariners are going into camp coming off a season where they use more pitchers of any season in franchise history where they're really needing some health and some maybe above and beyond even productivity. They need these guys to stay healthy in spring training. They do, but I think that you also go in with an understanding that that's probably unrealistic. Every team is going to have guys in their rotation that are going to spend time on the disabled list. Um, it just happens every year. Uh, Jerry DePoto is certainly aware of that. It's something that he's talked to us about a number of times. So the depth is important. So I'll be real curious as he moves forward, um, Gallardo now along mm-hmm. with Smiley, um, what he's going to do to, to shore up some of that depth, how much of it's going to be from what they have in their farm system and how much is it going to be from maybe getting a couple of veteran guys a little bit later to make sure that you have some people that can fill in. Um, Felix obviously missing a month last year. That's the first time in a long time where Felix has missed a, a, a significant time. Um, Iwakuma, 199 innings. Uh, we haven't seen that from him in a long time, so he, he was probably the steadiest guy that they had out there. I think Paxton took a step forward. Uh, but really, I, I think if you look at this whole thing, it's it's the big part of conversation when we get down to Arizona is going to be the depth overall. I want to see if there's some kids that emerge. That's one concern I, I would have. And the other concern, I, it keeps going back to Paxton, given the stuff that we've seen from him when he's been good, he's been dominant, and they need 30, 35 starts from him. I mean, that, that's not brain surgery. Everybody knows that, and they got to have yeah. him. I think the reason why I'm optimistic about that, Dave, with him is last year, even though he missed some time, it, was, it wasn't it was something that um, that he did. It was a line drive right. hit off of his arm. And, and there's, those things, are you know, are going to happen from time to time. But when we saw him and he was having other problems, he, he worked really hard. He came to spring training. Um, he lost some weight. He looked like he was in great shape, had to go to AAA, worked his way back. And, and as you mentioned, Dave, he was he was so dominant at times. And, I suspect we're going to see that James Paxton this year, which would be a huge lift for this club. I look forward to seeing him because I want to make sure there's no finger problems. He's got a good manicurist. If he has to travel one with him right. this year, that's going to work for me. Yep. You know, Mike, what, something you said 
triggered something for me. You mentioned the inning total for Iwakuma, 199 innings. This past season, there were 15, 15 starting pitchers in Major League Baseball that logged 200 innings. It's the lowest number of 200-inning pitchers in Major League history, and it's really not that close. The previous low was somewhere in kind of the mid-20s, and there was only one from the American League West. That was Cole Hamels, who was a fraction of an inning over 200, 200 and two-thirds. So you were mentioning earlier the strength of the bullpen. This is a bullpen that, among other things, will feature a lot of velocity. We saw bullpen usage be experimented with a little bit in the postseason. Mm, yeah. Now, granted, the amount of days off in the postseason are unlike that of the regular season. But you do kind of start to wonder if you started to pencil in, hey, five guys who can throw 200 innings, 170 innings, is that going to be enough now for some of these guys? Because the 200-inning the pitcher is uh, becoming an extinct dinosaur in many ways. Uh, no, you're right, and, and the numbers bear that out. I, I think, though, if, if you're going to be competitive, and when you talk about the bullpen, um, you're going to have some guys out there that are going to be your front line guys or guys that are going to pitch in the back end of the game. And I think that they are so important that to get to that and make it work, you have to have somebody that is able in your rotation, Aaron, to give you those innings. You, you have to have, yeah. because if nothing else, the manager has to have a day when he can count on giving his bullpen a break. And now for the Mariners, they've been spoiled because Felix has always been that guy. Um, and, and I know that he's working really hard this winter, um, and he'll come to spring training in great shape, and hopefully he'll be that guy again. But I think it's, it's, still, it's still an important thing to have at least one guy in your rotation that can give you those innings so that you can give your bullpen some rest. No doubt. We've got a lot to get to coming up here in the second hour of the Hot Stove Show. When we return, I think it's safe to say one of the most entertaining people surrounding Major League Baseball. We're going to have a chance to catch up with the one and only Casey Candell, Mariners first base coach. He's around the corner coming up on the Hot Stove Show. Well, the time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder, locking the best seats at the best prices to catch all of the action at beautiful Safeco Field for this coming 2017 season. For more information on the many benefits you'll enjoy as a season ticket holder, of course, all you have to do is check out Mariners.com slash 17. Hot Stove Show rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith, Mike Blowers, Dave Sims, and we're joined on the phone from his home in San Luis Obispo, California, one of the great characters in the game, one of our favorites, Casey Candell, Mariners first base coach. And Casey, how you doing? Happy New Year to you, my friend. Oh, happy New Year to you guys, man. Hello. It's good to be on. I'm doing great. <laughs> well, we, we feel uh, good. Feel, we, I feel good. I feel clean. I'm ready to go. Are you in the best shape of your life, Casey? Uh, well, I am. You know, I had a hip replacement this off season, so I feel really good. <laughs> All I right. mean, the dancing's going to be in good shape. You'll be good to go to show oh, off, huh? Oh, absolutely. I'm re- All I need is, I think, a knee, and a shoulder, <laughs> and a brain. I don't know about the brain I could get, but I, I, the other two I maybe don't get. I was going to ask you if you were keeping it in the fairway, but it doesn't sound like you were doing a lot of that. <laughs> No, it's, it, I mean, the hip is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I was out golfing actually after two weeks after wow. coming out of surgery, so it was crazy. Well, Casey, yeah, it was I, crazy. I know that they kept you awfully busy last year, your first year, along with Scott Service and the crew as part of the coaching staff for the Mariners, coaching first base. So when you think back to last season and as successful in many ways of a season as it was for the Mariners, what do you think about the most? Um. Uh, <laughs> Kind of almost what could have been, I, I, you know, when you get that close, it's, um, you know, if you just, if you get in, then some, some, anything can happen. So I think, 
you know, in those situations when you go through a season like that and, and you're so close coming down to the wire, you look you look back and you go, man, what could we have done here if we would have done? There's so many games you can look at through a season and go, man, if we would have just done this, if we would have done that, or if they hadn't done that. It's just, I guess the reflection back is, you know, of, of what could have been if this or that could have happened. I think that's that's basically kind of what you look back. If you're 25 games out, you don't do that. But, you know, there's still those situations, but, you know, you get that close and you, and you kind of, you go, man, if just, it's just not for this or that, you know, it could have been, been in there and nobody knows what can happen when you get in the playoffs. So. Okay. So I wanted to look ahead to this season and, and talk about the running game. I know last year, a lot of talk about that was going to be a big part of the attack. It didn't work out that way. It turned out to be a, a just a <clears throat> tremendous run scoring power hitting team, but now you had Dyson, you had Segura to the mix with uh, Martin. Uh, how excited are you knowing that you, you have those kind of guys that, you know, in terms of the base stealing game, in terms of base running game, and what that can do for this club this year? I mean, I think, you know, if you, any any aspect, any you know, thing you can add to your team, I mean, we're still going to have some guys that can lead the yard, and, and you know, and that's, that's going to be an important part. But, you know, I think overall, you know, we can improve on our base, base running and get a few more stolen bases in, in key times, it's, you know that's definitely going to help. I'm excited about those guys coming in and and the possibilities there. You know, I know, you know, Scotty initially wanted to run a little more last year, but you know it just didn't work out that way. And and you know, like you said, we had a pretty powerful team and and kind of went a little uh, Earl Weaver type, three run homers and and you know pitch and play defense. So I think it'll be a different a different. Um, a look this year is, you know, when we go out offensively. So I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to it in the spring to see, see those guys. I know Dyson is, uh, you know, very good already stealing bases. So, you know, that's hey, exciting. Hey, so you mentioned it a couple of times, the power that this club has. And when you look at the middle of the lineup, that, that should be there again for you guys. So so how do you balance that um, with these guys that can really run, and but yet you don't want to take the bat out of Robbie's hands or Nelson's hands or Kyle's hand? How do you balance all that even though you're trying to run more? Because you don't want to run out of innings, uh, right? I think I think that the the thing is is you just don't go and like, hey, we're gonna run, and you just run randomly. I think you know there's certain times that you can pick when when you can, hey, this is a good time to steal a base. This is a, you know, I mean, when you look at it, the 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 bases that you steal that are the most important are late in the game when the game's tied, you're down by a run, or you know you're trying to get an extra run. So I mean. Those are the ones that you have to steal. So I mean, you know, maybe you know when you're you're picking your spots, you you, you kind of go through it and you look and you try and be smart about it as to when you're going to run. I'd I'd rather have a guy you know steal twenty bags and get thrown out three, four, five times and steal thirty and get thrown out fifteen. I mean, you know, you're just giving up all those all those guys on base and and you know I don't see the the positive in that but i think it's more of a you know picking your spots and running in good times in the game and you know other teams know that so that's why it's important to have really good you know guys that know what they're doing with the with the tells of the pitcher and who they're running on and who's throwing so i think that's important too okay so i want to switch gears real quick last uh, week uh, tim raines your teammate for three years in montreal uh elected to the baseball hall of fame in those three years that you played with him, 86, 87, 88, give me a, 
Give me a fun recollection of, of watching Rocket work. Oh, he's just one of the one of the happiest guys to be on a field ever. I mean, you know, all all positive, just just uh, always had a smile on his face. He's very inspiring the way he played the game, and and at the, at when I was there, he was he was he was it, man. He could he could play. I think he came back his first game. He he didn't come back until later in the season, the first year I was there, I think, and I think it was in. Um, New York, and he went like four for five with a grand slam, a stolen base, a triple, and a couple singles, and and it was just the uh, you know he'd been sitting out for that long, and then come back and have that kind of impact was pretty incredible, and that that just shows what kind of player he was. But but totally enjoyed the game, great guy to have in the clubhouse, and and treated me wonderfully. I think he he even bought me a couple suits. He he actually bought me a purple suit. I think. Purple? <laughs> oh baby, that was awesome. It was awesome. I got a, I got a purple suit. You got a double breasted double breasted purple suit. I looked like I looked. I know you rocked it too. Very fly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I got a hat and everything. It was oh nice. Bomb. If you got yeah. pictures, bring them. Yeah. I think I burned them all, but oh, I had that. It's the funny part is I had that suit up until like I think two years ago, and I I gave it away, and I was like, man, I wish I still had it. It's back in style now. Is it really? Is it? Yeah, that's sure. beautiful. I think I think so. Just because Felix wears it doesn't mean that it's in style. Well, right, right. That's, that's where I'm going by. Oh, that's fantastic. We're talking with Casey Candell, Mariners first base coach. Casey, I want to kind of zoom in on one particular moment that stands out for me last season that involved you, and it was the days before the All-Star break. We were in a very steamy Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. James Paxton had a a costly throwing error the second-to-last day before the All-Star break that really was a a pivotal point, unfortunately, in what turned out to be a Mariners loss. And the next day, so this is, keep in mind, the – Day before the All-Star break, nine innings away from the vacation that all ball players dream of. And as most guys were probably, for good reason, taking it easy, getting ready for the final day before the break, we saw Paxton out there uh, virtually by himself in the sunshine, in the heat of the day in Kansas City, working with you and Scott Service on on simply throwing mechanics, throwing to bases. And, and I was curious uh, how much of that you remember and what that told you about the type of guy that James Paxton is, somebody that the Mariners are obviously going to be leaning on very heavily this season. Right. I mean, for me, it was just the epitome of, of somebody understanding that, you know, he, he had a little issue and that it needed to be solved and it didn't matter, at, you know, what time it needed to be solved right now and, and whatever he needed to do, he was willing to do it. Um, I think, you know, the kind, you know, being that kind of guy to say, you know what, I don't care what people say. I know I, you know, it's obvious I threw the ball away and I have a little bit of a, a an issue with, with throwing the ball and I'm going to fix it. Just, I mean, so much credit to him to, to say, yes, I'm going to go out and do this and I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get this right because I know that, that, you know, if I improve on this, it's going to help the team. And it just showed me so much as the kind of guy that that Pax is, and it was tremendous to see him doing that. And it was it was about 95 degrees, and 100% <laughs> humidity, and he had just 
he had just done it, the, you know, the day before. And what was amazing is, you know, you know, with 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 some players, you know, that that's like you wouldn't even bring. Oh, you can't talk to him about it. You can't talk to him about it. This guy, he's like, let's go out there. Uh, I I need to work on this. I don't care what people think. So I think that 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 just shows what a you know competitor and how how good he wants to get. And Casey, when you talk about pitchers doing that type of thing, I, I know for myself as a former third baseman, my managers would always tell me if you can get him out of the way, get him out of the way, because they seem to have some of those issues. But, you know, the one thing that dawned on me with that, and, and, and maybe you'll agree, is I think more times than not, that stuff is mental. And I thought it was real healthy for James to get out there right away just to try to put it behind him. And then fortunately, I think it was in his next game, he was able to make a play, had no issues, and he didn't seem to have any more the rest of the year. But it seems more mental than anything. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 like uh, yeah. I mean, you know, as you see, you know, the catchers they can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. I mean, it's definitely something that that you have to realize. Like, hey, I got to get through this, and and how am I going to do that? And and you know, you can't just think it's going to go away if it's you know. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see you know some of the you know best guys in the in the game have issues with with throwing the ball and so you know James is like I'm going to go out and I'm going to you know deal with it head on and get it taken care of but it is it was totally mental I mean it's just believing that you know you can work through that and to put a you know, to put a bow on the uh, Paxton story during the All-Star break he came to Safeco Field and worked with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. even more on that so <laughs> that goes to show you even more about James yeah, you're gonna make me cry. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, tears in a purple no, suit. This has been a good show. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, Casey. Uh, no, that's w- awesome. We we need to clear out a whole a whole hour for you next time next year on on the Hot Stove Show. Uh, so I'm in. I'm in. Thank you so much for the time, Casey. It's always a treat to catch up, and we sincerely cannot wait to see you and talk more and down in Peoria. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, and I will see you soon, man. All right, Case, Excited. Thanks, man. All righty. All right, we'll see ya. Nobody has more fun than first base coach Casey Candell joining us on the Hot Stove Show. Lots to get to as we uh, approach the final half hour of the program. We will be hearing from Edgar Martinez talking about his number 11 being retired by the Mariners, but when we return... It's all things FanFest. Maddie Lincoln from the front office joins us to talk details that you will want to know. That conversation after a quick break. What a show tonight here on the Hot Stove Show. We've got Edgar Martinez coming up at the end of the program. But, of course, by now you know that FanFest is just right around the corner this weekend, Saturday and Sunday at Safeco Field. You've got questions. We've got answers. We've scoured the front office for the most in-the-know person, the woman who helps put the whole thing together. Here she is, Maddie Lincoln. Mandy, always a fun, special time of the year. FanFest means that we are just getting that much closer to pitchers and catchers and to baseball in Peoria and then eventually opening day. So, first of all, tell us, how can we get tickets to FanFest? Yeah, FanFest this weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 4. Tickets are 10 bucks for adults, free for kids 14 and under. You can pick them up uh, at mariners.com slash FanFest or just stop by the ballpark uh, this weekend. So this is always an exciting time for Mariners fans of all ages. And I know one of the most uh, coveted things at FanFest is player autographs. And first of all, we have a whole slew of Mariners players, both from the minors and also from the Major League team that will be coming out. Who are some of the guys that fans will be able to get a chance to talk with and get autographs from? 
So you'll recognize some of your favorites from last season, uh, including Leonis Martin and James Paxton. And then, obviously, Jerry's been busy this offseason, uh, picking up a few new guys. So they'll be joining us as well, uh, including Gene Segura, Gerard Dyson, Drew Smiley, and a few others. Um, and then again, we've got the, the new guys that are going to be coming up here in the next few years, Tyler O'Neill and Kyle Lewis, our first-round draft pick from this past season. And then, of course, you can't leave out uh, our legends, the Jays and the Dans of the world. And then, of course, Edgar with his big news today about the number of retirement coming up in August. Really cool stuff. That ceremony, by the way, for Edgar on August the 12th, part of a big Edgar weekend. But shifting gears back to FanFest, how, how do people get autographs from these players? So you just head to the home plate gate where uh, you'll have a chance to pick from uh, four different autograph sessions. Uh, first 300 people will get a voucher, and then we'll just cycle through. There's about 12 sessions a day that uh, fans can take part in. So there's all kinds of things for fans to do. It's a great family event over the weekend at Safeco Field. I think the, the leading question, Mandy, is the is a zip line returning? Is a zip line back again? I would not do that to the fans and remove it. So, yes, it will be back. Uh, gosh, I want to say this is the fourth or fifth year. And what about any new aspects of FanFest this year? Uh, obviously, we came off a, a very magical and me memorable summer last year for Junior. Um, so we have an area out in center field, fittingly, uh, to kind of just uh, capture that Hall of Fame um, summer. And as part of it, um, you can actually have your face and name bronzed on a digital Hall of Fame plaque. I know it's not gold. <laughs> I, know, I know that's near and dear to your heart. But, yes, you can come uh, your own Hall of Fame uh, a plaque out there. So um, another one that uh, is coming to you guys new this year is uh, the Mayor's Commercials. They've been being produced for over 20 years now, fan favorites. Uh, so we're actually going to create a bit of a theater for fans to come out, um, be able to watch over 100 commercials. Uh, we'll also have some props and wardrobes from some of those commercials featuring Lou Pinella, Felix Hernandez, Edgar Martinez. Those will be on display for fans to check out as well. I think one of the great things about FanFest, because I mean, there's so many events that take place around the ballpark over the weekend, but simply the ability to, Mandy, bring out a ball and a glove and play catch, I mean, that is one of the really truly romantic things about baseball. And to be able to play catch on a major, major league field, especially one that, that you watch and listen to every single day, uh, that's got to be one of the best things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've, we were saying we're converting uh, Seiko Field into a baseball playground this weekend. So yeah, you've got your catch in the outfield. You can do something as simple as run the bases, swing for the fences, throw a pitch in the bullpen. So those really basic uh, baseball things are going to be able to come to life this weekend at Seiko Field. And, Mandy, finally, once again, can you tell us how everybody can get tickets? Tickets, again, available at mares.com slash fanfest, uh, $10 for adults, free for kids 14 and under. Uh, again, good weekend out of the ballpark. Meet some of the new faces that you'll see this spring. Enjoy a bunch of activities there on the field, and it's also your chance to come out uh, to be part of season ticket, uh, select a seat, and just test drive that seat that's going to um, – have you on hand to watch 2017 Mayor's Baseball at Safeco Field this season. Well, Mandy, I know sleep has been at a premium for you these days, getting ready for a huge weekend at Safeco Field. Fan Fest coming up in just a few days. Thank you so much for all your hard work, getting things ready for all the Mariners fans, and, of course, thank you for your time today. Thanks. See you this weekend. Mandy Lincoln from the front office. And remember, if you need any more of those answers, you can just go to mariners.com slash fanfest. All of your Fan Fest questions and answers right there for you. When we come back, the interview you've been waiting to hear, Edgar Martinez.
talking about having his number 11 retired at Safeco Field on August 12th of this upcoming season. Edgar Martinez is coming up next. We'll come right out and tell you that Edgar Martinez is basically the man here and has been for a long time. And the old one pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. One on the line down the field line for him. He's in. Here comes Joy. Here is Juju to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. Oh, my. God. Today, it is my privilege to announce that the number 11 will be retired and displayed at Safeco Field. Swung on and belted deep to center field, and this will fly, fly away, Edgar Martinez. An incredible honor for me and my family. Pitch Edgar, swing and a drive into right center field, back to the ball as Tom Goodwin reaches up and he can't get to it. It's off the wall on a hop. Here comes A-Rod, Ronnie third, he scores on another I'm pretty sure when they've named the yearly award for best player at the position you played, you probably belong in Cooperstown. Because of your record, the designated hitter award will forever be named the Edgar Martinez Award. I came to this land with a dream. That dream was realized here in Seattle, the best city of this great country. Edgar, what a thrilling and exciting day for you and your family having your number 11 retired for the Mariners here inside Safeco Field. First of all, how did you first find out that your number was going to be retired by the Mariners? Well, I think it's uh, about two nights ago. Uh, Kevin Mather uh, called my phone, and uh, I missed the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him back, and then he missed my call. So finally, we got uh, uh, we got to talk on the phone, and... And he asked me, he said, I need a favor for, for you, from you. And I said, okay, anything, anything you need. And uh, that's when he told me that uh, in August that they were going to retire my number. And uh, we needed to be here, you know, Tuesday for a press conference. So it was pretty, uh, it was a great feeling to, to receive that call from him. And um, uh, it feels pretty amazing right now. Today, during your press conference and talking with the media following, you are as stoic and as calm as you were inside the batter's box. But what are you really feeling inside, Edgar? Can you try to describe it? It's really hard. I mean, um, sometimes emotions are kind of hard to, to to explain. But I know it's a mix of emotions uh, that come from, you know, uh, getting all that satisfaction of uh, being recognized for the work that you do, uh, and uh, also some emotions about, you know, the memories that are coming to your mind uh, from the past, and, and emotions about everything that goes through, we as a player go through, as a family, and it's, it's so many, so many thoughts that come to to my mind that it's, it's just a range of different emotions. The first group of people that you thanked to the podium was your family, and it seemed like from a distance from where we sat, you were fairly emotional talking about them. What was their reaction when you told them the good news? They were very excited. 
you know, at the beginning, <laughs> my girls didn't know what, what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they, they were very excited, happy, and and um, we had a pretty good conversation trying to explain to the girls because the girls, they were young when I played. and uh, But they, they were so excited. So uh, it's fun to be able to, to share a little bit of, uh, my career with with them. You mentioned Lou Pinello, a fellow Mariners Hall of Famer. What has Lou done for you to get you to this point? You know, my best years were when when Lou came to this organization, and uh, he, I learned so many things from him. Every time he talked, you know, it was like you always got try to, you know, he get my attention. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he start getting the best out of me as a player, like the other guys, Junior and Jay and Randy. So um, <clears throat> he does, uh, he, he meant a lot to me. I mean, he, he really helped me along the way. He, he was a big part of my success. Since you're probably the only person that we may ever be able to ask this question to, we might as well go for it. Can you compare and contrast what it meant to you to find out that you were having a street named after you and having your number retired? There aren't many people in this game, Edgar, who have had both. I know. <laughs> you know, sometimes I joke around uh, when when people say, how it feels to have a street, you know, name after you. I was like, sometimes I think, you know, if, you know, I should have been dead or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually the people, there's not many people that have this three name after them and are still alive. But uh, but it's incredible. I mean, I in a million years, I never would thought that uh, what happened with the street, getting the street name after me, and now the number being retired. Uh, in a million years, I would thought that would happen. When you were 20 years old in Bellingham, you had as many walks as you had hits. Your on-base percentage was shockingly high, Edgar, for a young man who was hitting a buck 73, and maybe that was a sign of things to come, the on-base percentage that is. Can you imagine at that point that we would be sitting here today talking about what we're talking about? No, at, at that point I have many, many doubts. Um, you know, I didn't hit well, 173. Uh, and I wasn't playing every day. I'm like, I'm used to playing every day. Why I'm not playing? Uh, but um, yeah, I will never thought that I would be sitting here with in this situation uh, that year. But after that year, second year, that was, I felt like, okay, I can play this game at this level. Uh, but yeah, that the first year was tough. Your name has been in the news so much lately, and it is around this time each of the last few years. Your percentage of votes for the Hall of Fame continues to increase just under 60%. It seems as though the path is certainly being paved for you to Cooperstown, which is exciting for all of us, and yourself included. When people talk about Edgar Martinez, how do you want them to remember you as a player? I think someone that plays the game uh, hard and uh, to the best of his ability uh, to help the team win and give his best. That's all the, uh, I can think of. Uh, 
and that that's that's what I felt that I was uh, doing all these years. And finally, Edgar, Saturday, August twelfth, will be the official ceremony for the number eleven being retired here inside Safeco Field. It'll be a part of a huge Edgar weekend. You saw that last year with Ken Griffey Jr. when his number twenty-four was retired. Can you imagine what it's going to feel like for you during those three days, and especially on Saturday, August twelfth? Yeah, it's it's going to be a special weekend. I remember Junior um, going through that weekend, especially after going through everything that went uh, on his uh, Hall of Fame induction. So it's going to be very special, uh, fun. I'm going to try to have fun. I know it's going to be some moments that it's going to be emotional, but uh, uh, I'm going to try to have fun. Uh, this summer we'll see number 24, number 11, and, of course, number 42 for Jackie Robinson up here inside Safeco Field. It's going to be spectacular. Edgar, congratulations once again, and thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Appreciate it. About as humble as they come, Edgar Martinez. That was inside the umpire's lub, uh, clubhouse from Safeco Field earlier this afternoon after his number 11 was retired. Uh, Mike, you had a chance to listen to Edgar talk. Uh, what did you make out of everything? Well, like you said, he's obviously very humble about the entire thing. I, I think no surprise there. Um, one of the things that I thought about, there's obviously a lot of great moments for Gar, um, but when he talked about people thinking about him in his career and working hard, um, I've said it many times. When you get to the major league level, every guy that's there, they work really hard at what they do, but I never saw anybody work as hard, um, be as creative, like Edgar was. Well, we talked about him weighing his bats, um, doing the eye exercises that he had to do all the time, all the different things that he was willing to try, how hard he studied um, the opposing pitchers. Um, that was all part of it. And then the winning part. I can guarantee you that there are many, many guys that played at the major league level and were teammates of Edgar that would tell you they were better players because of him. And it wasn't, and if, if nothing else, it was just watching him work every day, watching him in the batter's box and the things that he would do, the way that he could slow a game down. You had to get better just by being around the guy. And then he wasn't somebody that would just come up and say, hey, Aaron, I'm seeing X, Y, Z in your swing, and that's the reason why you're struggling right now. But if you ever went to him, he would be more than happy to talk to you about it, and he would nail it. Um, I was not surprised when he was hired as the hitting coach here. He was—he's been a hitting coach here for many, many years, including the years that he played. Uh, so it's going to be—it's going to be a great weekend uh, in August. That's a great testimonial, Mike. The fact that you know, what you talk about—his ability to see and to decipher and explain and turn a guy around. How many? How often did guys go there? I mean, it, it, I wonder how much. I'm thinking of my as I'm visualizing this. Right. How much time did he have to work on his own stuff if he had guys coming in? and inquiring about, hey, what do you see? And then he's going on and helping them. Uh, I, th I think, you know, for, for us in the clubhouse, the, the, we all have an understanding of when it's time to get your work in, and then you have that downtime. Um, and it could be after a game. It could be on a plane. It could right. be in a hotel. And that's typically when guys would approach him. Um, I know for myself, I was really fortunate. Um, in 93, when I made the team, out of spring training, I was going to be a backup to third and first in, in the corner outfield spots, and then Edgar got hurt. I think it was the last day of spring training, if I have the years right. But um, he was missing a, a period of time, and I was basically in my second, third year um, at that point and still trying to learn. And I can remember after a couple of days, there was a certain pitcher that was on the mound that I wasn't familiar with, so I just walked up to guard because he was sitting on the bench watching the game. 
And I asked him, I said, well, what can you tell me about this guy? And he, you know, give me the scouting report on the guy. And I, was, I asked him, I said, well, how, how does he normally pitch you? What's he going to do, especially if he's in trouble? Does he go to a slider? Is he going to try to throw his fastball more? What's he going to do? And so he said, well, this is what he's done to me in the past. And I said, okay, well, I'll look for that. He goes, no, he's going to pitch you differently. He goes, I've watched them two days pitch against you. This is the last game of the series. Scouting <laughs> report's different. If I were you, I would do X. And I walked yeah, man, I walked away from that. I ended up with a couple of hits that day. And I'm like, okay, there's a different part of this game that I need to get some knowledge on. And I went to him every single day that he was on the DL. Now, I'm a guy playing his position. He didn't have to help me at all. And right. He helped me every single that's day. Beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the grace of this guy. I mean, he, he, yep. that's how special he is. Yep. Hey, Mike, final couple of minutes. It's kind of funny now when we see Edgar carrying the iPad in the dugout going over all the charts mm-hmm. and everything else. But based on our conversations, maybe that's not that big of a surprise given he was kind of one of the, the forefathers of film, wasn't he? He was. Uh, you know, I can remember when, when I first started seeing video, which we had in the clubhouse, and Carl Hamilton did it for a long time with the Mariners, and Edgar would be with Carl all the time in the clubhouse. And then um, when it became a situation to where things became portable and he could actually – and it was this – it's nothing like you're seeing Port- today. Portable? <laughs> yeah, this is some heavy equipment. But he, he was the first guy I ever saw that would be on the plane looking at his swing or studying the opposing pitchers that we were going to, whatever city we were going into. And, and he was ahead of everybody on that. But that's, that's kind of the guy he is. You know, he's, he's, he's humble, he's soft-spoken, he's quiet extremely intelligent, and like I said, never left anything to chance. He worked as hard as anybody, even if it was from the mental side to the way he took care of himself to the amount of swings he would take every day, um, and for as long as he played. Yeah. Now, you have to remember, he ended up getting to the big leagues late, uh, to no fault of his own. He was tearing up the PCL every year, but sometimes you get stuck in a situation, and he finally got an opportunity, and the next thing you know, he immediately goes out and wins a batting title. Gives you an idea that how, how good he is. But sometimes, and when you look at his overall numbers and his body of work, it's one of the things that frustrated me. He can't, he couldn't help it that he wasn't in the big leagues when he was 23 years old because right. he probably should have been. He had to wait longer than that, and that cost him, you know, numbers on, on, his, on his resume. Well, along those lines, he was an all-star and a Silver Slugger Award winner when he was 40. Yeah. And his only 100 strikeout season came in his final year the next year at age 41. His only 100 strikeout season. And that has nothing to do with his swing. It was because he couldn't see. And that's what eventually put him out of the game. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Guys, this has been fun. Yeah, it's been great. See you, boys. And a big day for Edgar Martinez as well. Well, we appreciate everybody chiming in, including Art Halpine of Tacoma, who was our second winner of today's trivia question. Big thanks to all who made this one possible, Art included. We had a chance to talk with Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News. Of course, Danny Valencia, Mariners' new infielder and outfielder. Also, Casey Candell in his purple suit. We can't thank Casey enough either. And, of course, we just heard from Edgar Martinez as well, who was kind enough to join us. So, for Dave Sims, for Mike Flowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, Matt Harden, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you on Saturday for the next Hot Stove.